That was one mail we got a few weeks ago. The epileptic seizures had gone away. They were running around the garden instead of being on the sofa. They said, we literally feel like we've got our pet back. It's like three or four years ago. Thank you. We can't put it into words. I mean, it's impossible to not shed a tear. You can't be steely-faced about that. Welcome to Life Well Loved, the pet well-being podcast brought to you by Bella and Duke. My name's James Marriott. I'm your host as we adventure into the world of pet ownership with you and your cats and dogs. We'll sniff out some expert knowledge from people like behaviourists, nutritionists, veterinary professionals, as we explore how to do right by your pets. Today, I'm joined by Rowan Sanderson, who is a practitioner of functional diagnostic nutrition, who studied at the Institute of Transformational Nutrition and is a certified bulletproof coach. There's a lot of things there. Most importantly for us today, uh, Rowan, you are a chief nutrition officer at Bella and Duke. A- anything I've missed out there? Because that's, that's, a, that's a, a, a hefty old title there. Uh, golly, that sounds like a lot of responsibility, James. <laughs> Uh, I think, no, you, you, you've covered some of the main points, but um, no, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I want to start by asking you, well, a, a, I guess a bit about your background, but, but, but um, how did you get into this? I worked in the city and ticked all the boxes of cliches and got very, very, very ill. And it was on a, and I'm going to use the word journey, to heal myself and get some answers, that I fell massively into functional medicine and clinical nutrition. And then I looked around me and I was like, wow, this has really been like falling into another dimension. Everybody I look around has is some form of illness or some form of symptoms, and they all consider it's normal when actually not. Symptoms are never normal. They're just clues that something's not working very well. So I retrained. I spent seven years retraining in functional medicine and clinical nutrition with a view to bringing better health to everyone around me. And it's as simple as that. So where where does the crossover then into um, working with animals, working with pets, where, where, where did that kind of come into the equation? Well, Mark... One of our fab founders, he's a good friend of mine, and I was working with somebody very close to them, and he liked the results. And he basically said, I'm thinking of, well, he asked me a few questions. One was, do you think the problems our pet population are facing is largely down to nutrition? To which I answered was, yes, 100%. You can't feed something anyone a biscuit day in day out and expect them to be well secondly is do you think what you're doing for humans translates into the pet world and i said yes i'll need to retrain and i did that i did some pet nutrition courses uh, and a lot of research a couple of years of research and he said would you like to be part of this company and help pioneer a new approach and challenge the status quo on how we currently feed our pets. To which I said, stop talking. You had me at hello. <laughs> how how similar is it then? Because, you know, humans 
dogs, other other animals, obviously, you know, the, the, their bodies are, are, are different. Is is the the kind of you know the 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 basis of it the the, the same whatever the the body is? No, the, the, there's there's some important differences and there's some subtle differences. But when you step outside of both for a moment you'll realize there's a lot of learnings that humans can take from the pet world and a lot of learnings specifically that the pet world can take from the forefront of human functional medicine. Why is that? People tend to investigate themselves first before the pets. Uh, This is called an adoption curve. So I would say one of the triumphs of Bellier and Duke and what makes it more unique is we've really questioned everything and we've worked very closely with some excellent vets to see which bits we're learning in the human world are applicable and we can be translated over to pets. And we've had some really big wins there where we've said, hang on, everybody's saying this, but is this the truth? And when you start to pick away the science, you think, oh, well, this is exactly the same for dogs as it is for humans. So there are a lot of differences. Dogs are carnivores. Cats are carnivores. Y- yes, dogs will eat anything you give them pretty much, including a Wellington boot. It doesn't mean that's food for them. Um, but we have learned a lot from the human side of things. Uh, this is really interesting. So uh, th- I, I've got actually quite a basic question here, but I think it's important to cover off some of the ground stuff. So does it really matter what we feed our pets? You know, is it that important? Yes. This is a great question, and it's good to bring it back to the basic. When you consider that cells in any animal, whether it's yourself or your pet, are constantly being renewed, The food and water, the food and liquids you give them are how they reconstruct their cells. So if you're giving something which is nutritious, which has full quality proteins, which has the right degrees of healthy fats, you're amply hydrated. This allows you to recreate cells which are healthy. If you think that, forget about animals and food for a minute. Let's just imagine we're building a pyramid. If each day you put a brick in that pyramid or a big block and it's badly constructed and it's likely to collapse, the whole pyramid starts to collapse. If you put something in which is well made and fits, well, you build a solid construction. That's literally your foundation of health. So food and water are really essential for our health pyramid. I, I mean, critical. And dogs renew cells at a much more rapid rate than humans, which is why they have slightly shorter lives. Right. So day in, day out, you are choosing, am I putting in the correct well-shaped blocks to build their health pyramid, or am I just putting in something because it's easy? What, what kind of strikes me is that you don't have to go back you know that that long and what people were feeding their pets was was maybe not something that that was particularly kind of thought about it's 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 interesting how quickly things have changed over the last few few years and i kind of want to do do a little bit of of of, of exploration now really between the the real differences between 
um, essentially the differences between kibble and raw pet food. So let's 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 set the scene first of all. Then tell me about kibble. What what is kibble? Well, kibble is a biscuit. The the process of making kibble is that you take some ingredients, typically in powder, you mix them all together, and it goes into a giant, high-pressured, uh, superheated kettle. And out the, the, if you will, for want of a better explanation, the spout of the kettle, these things are pushed out, they're forced out, and it's called extrusion. And they come out into different shapes. There might be witty shapes of a bone or a paw, or a snout, or a piglet, or whichever they are, you're basically putting them into a giant biscuit machine, throwing a lot of heat at it, a lot of pressure, and hey presto, out comes a biscuit. So that's what kibble is. Now, things get added into that, like vitamins, etc., to call it complete, but that's kibble. And and again, this is a, a a really basic question, but I feel it's important to 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 address those differences. So, if if that's the process for kibble, what's the process for 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 raw? Raw covers lots of different bases. So, some people make their own raw food at home, and they might just open a packet of chicken breasts and give it to the dog. By the way, if you're listening to this, please don't do that. Raw needs to be balanced, like anything else. If we're specifically looking at Bella and Duke, they have an industry-leading process, which is everything remains sub-zero and is mixed together to keep it maximally fresh and to maintain all the nutrients. It's literally minced, mixed, and put into a convenient packet for you. That's the process. Three things. Mince mix in a packet so if if i was to feed my dog a, a, a diet of, of purely kibble what's likely to happen what 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 we're talking about here when we talk about you know effects that what what goes in is going to have on 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 that animal okay so th there's essentially five key differences okay. and i can talk you through these um but what we see with dogs coming to us from kibble is that they tend to be overweight, they have poor digestion, they normally have gas or bloating, most of them have got itchy skin, um, they've probably got poor digestion, they're producing enormous stools, they have smelly breath and they have lacklustre energy. And, or, and quite often, believe it or not, it has a huge impact on their behavior. So, and there's a good reason for that. So they can be kind of quite willful and difficult to train and then super exhausted. And and so what, what happens if, um, so I've, yeah, I've been feeding my dog on a, a diet of, of kibble, experiencing a lot of those symptoms that you talk about. Um, I draw a line in the sand and say, right, I'm going to switch to raw. Let's say that I switch to, to Bella and Duke. What am I likely to see then? What 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 are the differences, and 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 how long does it kind of take? Wow! So, how long it takes totally depends, and and this can be breed dependent, and how long you've been feeding your dog for, and what other kind of stresses they've been subjected to. You know, have they had a lot of medicine? Do they swim in a a polluted river every day? 
But realistically, uh, we see a kind of sequence of improvements which can start in a little as little as two or three days. When you transition them or just move them very simply onto raw, typically the breath improves straight away. And that's because you start to change the bacteria in the mouth, but also the digestion improves because raw is very easy for your dog to digest. So you don't get this fermentation which happens with all of these carbohydrates, which dogs really can't digest in kibble. So the, the digestion improves and straight away you're gonna see an impact on the stool size. It suddenly becomes more compact, more firm, and this is as the bacteria changes in their gut and they don't have this, the, these grains or grain substitutes in there. After maybe a week, you might start to see an improvement in the fur. The, the, literally, the fur will start to change. And that's because the fats aren't oxidized. They're not cooked. And you release something when you're growing hair or fur, and it's like a lubricant to help the hair come out. And the oils are a lot softer. So within a month, Stroking your pet, you'll notice that it's a lot, lot softer. And people have actually reported as well that their kids aren't as allergic to their pets suddenly. Wow. Now, that depends, but that's one of the other things we've seen. The pet generally tends to be a lot calmer. And that's because they're not getting a spike in what we call excitory neurotransmitters. Basically, it's glutamate. Um, you know when you've eaten a lot of kind of, uh, for instance, if you've been to an Asian takeaway and they've put monosodium glutamate in it and suddenly you can't sleep at night? Well, that's the same thing for your pet. Your pet's a bit tired and wired on kibble. And these are because of certain proteins. So it, you will see them naturally start to lose weight and that can depend if you're exercising your pet quite regularly and gently and appropriately, they'll just naturally lose weight. And within a month, it's very rare that people still have overweight pets. Wow. So the, the process is literally a transformation. And we know this stacks up. We're now well north of a couple of million meals served. So we've seen this evolution over five or six years. And, you know, I dare say that we're super proud of what's happened and we're very reassured and happy. Uh, but this is consistently, day in, day out, people contact us and say, wow, my pet's fur has changed. The breath isn't as smelly. They're a lot more relaxed. They're not overweight. It's the last thing we thought of changing and it's the first thing that's made a huge difference. It's really—it's so fascinating hearing you kind of talk about the the science and the reasons behind those changes, because obviously that that all makes sense. Uh, but really interesting as well is we're not talking about overnight changes there, but but relatively rapid. You're not talking about you know it's going to take a year or two before you start to see any any difference here. You know we're talking we're talking weeks, aren't we? Which is which is really interesting. On on the flip side of that, obviously we hear stories about some some pets where that transformation onto raw is a bit more difficult than than others. Why is that? Why why do some animals, some some dogs particularly, kind of struggle in that in that transformation? You know, this is a really good question. <laughs> and I'm glad we're addressing this because 
you have to understand that there's something called first bite palatability. And first bite palatability is when kibble and people who design the kibble ensure that it's super tasty. Why do they want it to be super tasty? Well, they want the pet to eat it, they want them to eat more of it, and they want that pet to become effectively addicted to it. So what you have in lots of kibbles is they are sprayed with a combination of fats and salts to make them hyper palatable. So if you imagine your pet's a teenager and you give them basically uh, a very famous burger company's burgers every day for breakfast and some chips and a supersized shake, it can be quite tricky to get them to transition onto asparagus and lamb chops and uh, maybe a green juice in the morning. But after a while, they will realize that one makes them feel great and they're attentive at school when they leave the house in the morning. And the other one actually gives them a massive energy slump, makes them a bit cranky and a bit snappy. So depending on how long your dog has been fed these, these uh, super palatable junk foods, and you know, I'm comfortable saying that, that's my opinion they can be a little bit reluctant because they're not getting this rush, mm -hmm. this umami rush of flavor satisfaction. Yeah, that, make, that makes so much sense. Um, I, I kind of, I, I touched on this earlier, kind of hinted about um, the fact that, you know, these, these were conversations that not many people were really having not that long ago. You know, this, this is a, a space that's, that's changed rapidly in, in, in recent years. How have you kind of seen that that conversation about raw feeding? How how have you seen that change? Oh, it's 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 been a radical evolution, and in part, it's been helped very much by the internet and people sharing success stories. So, if I was to really look at what have been the key drivers of change, it's the amount of disappointed owners seeing symptoms in their pets and not seeing relief from that, and then suddenly being able to exchange information either on walks, because obviously, you know, when, when you buy a dog or when you adopt a dog, the first thing you realize is the world is a lot more friendly and accessible than ever before. Everybody wants to stop and ask you about your dog. You want to ask about them. People suddenly see are really healthy. Wow, what are you feeding them? And good news spreads fast. And people want to do the best by their pet. It's word of mouth, whether that word of mouth has been through walks or through forums on the internet, and not to overlook some really positive, forward thinking and open-minded vets. So the evolution's been huge. It seems to have reached a tipping point and, you know, I, I confess that I'm very proud Baron Duke has been part of taking raw mainstream because our mission when we set out was to save the life of as many pets as possible. And what work do you think there still is to do? You know, what, what's still on your hit list of things that, that you, know, you want to help achieve? Simply feeding raw isn't enough. And... Bella and Duke have been very good at this. They've been part of the development of the Raw Safety Certificate. 
we need to ensure that standards across the industry are really high. Handling raw food, if it has been processed properly, is super safe. And in fact, if we look at the Helsinki research from the dog risk group, we, we can see that feeding your dog raw is in fact a lot safer than sending your child to nursery. And as the father of a one-year-old, I can totally testify to that. <laughs> However, there are people and vets among them who could be put off by people who mishandle or misuse raw food. And we need to ensure this is balanced and of a sufficient quality. So we need to now get the message out there that simply calling it raw isn't enough. It needs to be raw. It needs to be safe. It needs to be handled properly so that you know, James, that, for instance, if you go into a restaurant and order a steak, having that steak in a restaurant isn't enough. What matters is where they've sourced it and how they've cooked it and how they've handled it. Otherwise, you can get food poisoning. So this is why we need to really raise the level in the whole industry, including the smaller producers, so people can feed their dog raw with confidence. And I think the other thing is, I would like people on my hit list is just to empower people to make their own choices with the knowledge of what really happens when you feed your dog kibble. Now, when you ultra heat process anything, what you do is you create some toxic compounds which can create cancer. This isn't a matter of a fact or scaremongering. Or the, in fact, the World Health Organization have named some of the products that can be found within kibble as known cancer-causing substances. So the idea of feeding that to a pet that you love, or in fact anything, is kind of ridiculous. And I'd like to just get that message out there gently and supportively so people can make an informed decision. Obviously, you're you're a nutritionist. You know, that is your area of, of specialism. I'm, I'm interested in how how important is the other stuff then? And what I mean by that is, you know, obviously getting the, the diet right is is a is a really key uh part of that but but in terms of the other elements of of lifestyle um how important are they alongside it oh they're huge and whether i'm speaking to you know proud pet parents or whether i'm speaking to patients in my functional medicine practice i always bring people back to something i call the health jigsaw now Diet is a huge part of that jigsaw, but it's not the complete picture. What you need to do is ensure the stress of the pet is managed. And what do I mean by that? That they're never left for extended periods of time. They feel safe and secure. They feel loved. Also, they feel stimulated and part of your tribe. And then you know, there's a time and place, for instance, for antibiotics. Antibiotics save lives. However, is the use of those antibiotics appropriate? And is it only as a last resort? Um, ensuring your pet gets the right bacteria in their diet. There's multiple elements to this health jigsaw. Diet and stress are the major ones. And if there was one thing I would also do is empower and educate people about the dangers of over-exercise. 
A dog will run and run and run till it falls over. Why? It likes to be stimulated. It wants to please you. It gives you a purpose. I have a Spanish water dog who, frankly, she thinks her life mission, apart from looking after the baby, is to retrieve sticks from the water. However, as the adult in this equation, I have to make an important kind of decision to say, actually, you can't breathe anymore. You need to stop. And, you know, that itself can be a form of stress. So if I was to summarize diet, hydration, uh, stress and exercise really give you the biggest wins. That's 80 percent. You've graduated with a doctorate from the from the University of Pet Health, if you've managed those things. Uh, And um, I guess kind of final thought if there's someone listening to this who's in that position whereby they're coming to that realization that they they they've probably been getting it wrong they've probably been feeding their their dog their cat their pet the 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 wrong stuff and they're at that kind of crossroads maybe feel a little bit daunted by the whole sort of thing about i i need to sort this out i just don't really know how i don't know where to start i don't know what to do what what's your advice to someone in that in that position who's at the stage of kind of rethinking reconsidering um where they're at in terms of 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 raw well firstly and i say this from the heart because i've been there is feel good about yourself on this the fact that you're listening and you want to learn means you care and you love your pet we all get things wrong we all get things wrong there isn't a a right or wrong it's just an an evolution of learning and that is really important i went through a whole three months of feeling stressed because I've been feeding my dog the wrong thing and feeling like a terrible, that's just a waste of energy. Mm-hmm. You know, take all of that energy and go, okay, that was then, this is now, what can I do? Uh, secondly, I, I would simply jump in and trial a box of raw food. And sure, you get it that's been safely handled, responsible, looks after your pet, and join a forum like the Bella and Duke Facebook group why it's super welcoming it's super supportive all of your questions are there everybody's been through the same process Uh, some people like to be part of it other people like to be super private that doesn't matter what matters is you feel like your hand is being held throughout the process and it couldn't be simpler and actually it's much like when you watch a really amazing film with a great ending you kind of want to share it with everybody and that's how people are in the raw group is they say, oh, wow, we've been through this. Yes. Have you tried doing it like this? And suddenly, rather than trying to invent everything yourself, somebody's just giving you a blueprint of how, how to put it in. Really, it's the simplest, the most convenient and the most heartwarming way of feeding your pet because you know you're doing the right thing by them, you know, and you see this really incredible evolution of your pet's health. And suddenly you actually end up with a better bond with your pet. Mm. You know, they pick up on the fact that you feel less stressed and feel happier. You know, it's a ascending circle of positivity. It just, it really, really makes me smile from the inside out. And, finally finally i promise reflect re- reflecting um you know you, you at the beginning of the podcast you talked a bit about your own journey and and, and obviously you you going from you know the situation that you found yourself in and the journey that, that you've you've been on 
when you read stuff like that, when you hear those stories of people whose um, pets' lives have been transformed, their relationship with their with their pets being transformed, how do you feel when 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 you read things like that? Oh, honestly and selfishly, it's the reason that it's the biggest reason that gets me out of bed in the morning. You know, whether it's a, a mail from a client or a patient who's just said, wow, I've never slept like this in my whole life. It's amazing. Wow, all of these symptoms have gone away. Uh, wow, I'd forgotten I ever had had that. Or whether it's from saying, we literally feel like we've got our pet back. That was one mail we got a few weeks ago. The epileptic seizures had gone away. They were running around the garden instead of being on the sofa. They said, we literally feel like we've got our pet back. It's like three or four years ago. Thank you. We can't put it into words. I mean, it's impossible to not shed a tear. You can't be steely-faced about that. There's nothing more warming. It's it's ultra-motivating, and it just makes us want to do more of it. Amazing. Rowan, honestly, I could I could talk to you all day long. I've already asked you two final questions, so um, I probably should draw a line under things um, under things there. But some absolutely fascinating, amazing stuff um, that that you've talked about there. So thank you ever so much for your time today. It's been really great chatting to you, James. It's a it's an ultimate pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on and indulging me. Well, that wraps up this episode of Life Well Loved. Thank you very much for listening. You can find out more about us at bellaandduke.com and don't forget to hit follow so you get all our new episodes every fortnight. Thanks for listening and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye.